A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Monday morning, the 5th of November, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Labour Party, as you know, held its annual conference uh, this weekend. There was much focus on the elections. Uh, that is uh, the one gone by with Brendan Howland referring to the President as Labour's own Michael D. Higgins, who increased his vote, and much focus on the next elections and if they could make Labour a political party of relevance again. 43 candidates have been selected for local elections and 23 will be hoping to be elected to the Dáil. And indeed the Labour Party is looking for the support of other parties including the Greens, Social Democrats and some progressively thinking independents as they put it. We're joined by Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash. A very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Obviously you're one of the Labour Party candidates who will be hoping to take a Dáil seat. What's What's the mood in the party now? Because uh, it's a a party that has gone from what was a very high to a a much deflated low. Well, the focus has been, as you know, Michael, in the last two and a half years uh, on the rebuild. It's rebuild, rebuild, rebuild all of the time. That's our focus, uh, identifying candidates for local elections and the general election whenever that might happen there really is a renewed energy and new new focus and a new confidence in the party and it's actually great to see so many young people there at the weekend people as well are putting themselves forward to mm. run um, for the party really good debates around housing uh, around decent work a new agenda that I uh, launched yesterday uh, with the support of trade unions uh, to ensure that we've got you know, new collective bargaining rights in Ireland a living wage and so on to you know, make sure that people have a, a greater um, mm. share of economic wealth in this and perhaps country. that's the point uh, that Brendan Helen was making you're not the only party who holds views in respect of uh, these issues uh, but uh, you could look to uh, the Green Party uh, and how they uh, look uh, on solving these problems uh, and the solutions are pretty similar to the Labour Party or the Social Democrats or some of the independents uh, and to some degree that has been the Labour Party's problem has it not? Um, Well uh, I I guess back in the 1980s uh, we'd say when the Labour Party left coalition um, you um, we came back with a small handful of seats in 1987. Um, but what we didn't have was a collection of other left-leaning parties competing in that market mm. for what might be a relatively small uh, market share, if I can put it like that. Um, Brendan, um, in his speech on Saturday night, um, said, looking at the last exit poll, um, and the exit poll I think is very interesting, the one that was taken by uh, RTE and separately by the Irish Times on the day of the presidential election. Mm. And exit polls, of course, um, involve an enormous sample, a much larger sample 
um, than the regular kind of weekly or monthly polls that you might see in the Sunday Business Post, Sunday Times and so on. So you're asking several thousand voters who are actually on their way into a polling station mm. are coming out, how did you actually vote? So these are people who are motivated to vote. So combined, the Labour Party, the Green Party and the, and the Social Democrats had a vote share of about 14%. And that's very, very significant mm. and could end up being very significant in terms of well, it would government be, formation. If, if it returned seats in line with that Absolutely. percentage and that Fine Gael on 35%. Around yeah. 20 mm-hmm. seats between the Labour Party, the Green Party and the Social Democrats. And there, there are actually very few things, I think, that divide mm. us um, in terms of our philosophy, in terms of our principles, and certainly some differences in terms of what mm. the emphasis would be. Obviously, the Labour Party's emphasis on economic inequality, addressing that and ensuring that we've got strong social protection systems and good public services. Yes, the Green Party would be in a, a similar situation mm. in terms of those kind of policy perspectives. Uh, and we, we, we work together on climate action issues, uh, banning microplastics mm. and so on. And uh, so I think but it's, it's the perception of the Labour Party uh, uh, as a left wing party was damaged because of the coalition uh, you formed with Fine Gael. Uh, it's equally true to say that that led to, to the establishment of the Social Democrats. Well, as I described the Social Democrats, uh, m- many of them are former members uh, of the Labour Party or people, in fact, who I should who I believe should be in the Labour Party and may be uh, in the future. But they were ashamed uh, those of how the Labour Party have, had conducted who, itself. The, the Labour Party always has, I think, an element in our own organisation who find it very difficult mm. to um, uh, be in government, mm. um, whereas I believe that... Well, Roisin Shortall didn't find it difficult to be in government. Well, well Roisin, of course, stood down yes. um, uh, at one point during mm. our term uh, herself. She was, of course, junior minister mm. um, for health. And it's actually she was very enthusiastic. Yeah, and one of the good things that Roisin did, for mm. example, was... Uh, start the process around the public health alcohol bill which mm. in fact we only got passed mm. uh, in the Dáil and Shannon recently. Well that's it, I mean she was very enthusiastic and very committed to her portfolio and I think many would have seen her as a very good minister and an effective minister but one who said her hands were tied uh, who was looking at uh, the likes of uh, parish pump politics uh, taking presidents over proper policy making and decided she couldn't do it anymore. She went to the Labour leadership uh, and there was no ear for her because it, it seemed to her at least that staying in office was more important. Well, it seemed to her on me that, that that was the case but we all know that as in life Michael and I always say I wouldn't have I wouldn't be in a relationship I wouldn't have a friendship and I wouldn't mm. be married if I couldn't compromise uh, and people do compromise all of the time and when you're in government you have to that do that. James Riley could open a, a primary that, care centre in his own constituency. That's, 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 that, that, that was back yeah. in 2012 mm. and that was something I think that raised the hairs of a lot of people in the Labour Party. And I know, but this is the party. But this is okay. But this is the party. But sure, but this is the party that you're hoping to uh, form uh, an agreement with, or come to an agreement with, over transfers, uh, or at least to have Labour Party supporters transfer to Roisin Shortall and others. Uh, Roisin Shortall has said she won't reciprocate that. The Green Party have said they won't reciprocate that. Uh, should Brendan Helen have spoken to people sure before he? said that, but um, uh, what, what we're saying, we're, we're not talking here well, about any they're, formal, they're, well, just to be very clear. Eamon Ryan told the Irish Examiner that they don't do that. They will discuss it, but they don't do that. They have never done it before. Um, I think it's a natural inclination, um, and Brendan, I think, um, would admit that, uh, and Eamon Ryan would admit that too, a natural inclination for Labour Party supporters to um, provide you know, high preferences to the Green Party and vice versa. That's understandable. We have a similar position on the political spectrum and political mm. firmament. And I can understand that we're both socially progressive and liberal uh, parties um, who believe in investment in public service and believe that uh, we need to tackle climate action uh, and, and so on. So regardless, I think, of what party leaders say, I think there's a natural inclination for, for, for voters to do that in any case. But what we're saying is that 
we don't have a, a monopoly on wisdom um, and the Labour Party naturally enough and never was in a position to we're not going to win seats in every single constituency and we're saying where the Green Party for example are more competitive than Labour vote for the Green Party, support the Green Party and or continue your preferences to the Green Party mm. after you vote number one Labour. And similarly we say that in relation to Social Dem- Democrat um, candidates and indeed independent left-leaning candidates, many of whom actually originated in the Labour Party uh, and are, are no longer there but share mm. our views and share Like Tommy Brune because, who became disillusioned well, with the Labour Party as well as Roisin Shortall. Well, you know, the, the, people have a question asked themselves, do they want to continue to vote for, you know, that duopoly of mm. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, Conservative parties or, you know, nationalist parties who mm. simply, you know, uh, aren't necessarily an interest in taking responsibility of government or do they actually want real change in this country mm. that is sustainable, that's going to actually produce and, the goods that, for people? That, that would seem a fair enough point. That would seem a, a fair enough and point. this isn't a formal alliance either, Michael. This is the point. No, it's this not an alliance appeal. at all. This, this is, is the a, problem. This, this and that was why it smacks of desperation. No, no, no. It's, it's actually very smart politics, I think, and very responsible politics to, to say, look, you know, we're in a situation where we want to grow um, support for progressive um, centre-left policies mm. in Ireland that can really make a difference, that will build the houses we need, provide the decent jobs that we need, invest in our public services. And, you know, we, we, we say continuously, I think we're all agreed on this, mm. those of us on the centre-left, you can't, you know, cut poverty and cut taxes at the same time. Mm. We need the resources that we have to invest in our public services. That's a given. So what we do then is actually... But would you not cut a deal with these people before uh, no, uh, endorsing we, 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 we don't, we don't their do, candidature? We, we don't do um, formal pre-election alliances with mm. anybody because I think you know the Labour Party is best when it's acting independently. Um, but, but you're, endor- you're but endorsing, no, 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 but acknowledging, but acknowledging that we don't, as I say, have a monopoly mm. on wisdom. We're not going to win every single seat that we challenge for. We'll be running thirty odd candidates. We're not going to win thirty odd seats. I don't know if you have a monopoly is. on wisdom, but this we would seem don't. very unwise. It's uh, not at all. It's it would very seem smart, very ill-advised to, to start endorsing other political parties and candidates uh, without getting something in return. Uh, no, well, it's not always about something. You know, this is this is the point, Michael. I mean, mm. you know, in, in in politics, sometimes you have to make brave moves and brave steps and move out side of your own comfort zone Vote for out of the shackles else. of your own sort of narrow party mm. interest. Um, we're actually about trying to build that um, broad progressive left alliance if I can put it like that mm. to actually introduce real and proper sustainable social and economic change in this country and you can't do that by um, simply closing off the option of working with others. You have to work with others. Look at the makeup of the doll at the moment. There are actually some rather unusual alliances being formed at the moment. Look at the, the alliance that's running the country at the moment. They're alliances. They're alliances. Um, in, informal alliances, they're alliances, as Michael Martin might yes. describe it. They're not actually formal coalition arrangements. But they are alliances. Um, this isn't. You haven't an alliance with anybody. You've told people to, who, who will vote Labour to go and vote for somebody else. Uh, it's remarkable. Number two and number three. Yeah. Uh, and there are, parts of the, there are parts of the country where the Labour Party will not be competitive mm. and where the Green Party for example may have a better chance Did you know uh, of, Brendan Helling was going to make this announcement seat. before he did it? Um, I was aware that mm. this was Brendan's view uh, and it was a view that's shared by the way by the entire parliamentary party and mm. actually has been endorsed uh, by the conference this weekend uh, we're not in the business of creating formal alliances, mm. uh, we believe that we need to stand alone, stand as an independent voice ahead of the election. Did and you then, question the wisdom of it? Uh, no because um, many of us would have been involved in actually formulating that mm. sort of broad idea 
yeah. that we need to appeal to a broader, a broader, um, you know, gamut of, mm. of public opinion. Um, and but like say, I we, say, we, we, do, we don't have that. But like monopoly. I say, you're endorsing people like Roisin Shortall and Tommy Brown, and they wouldn't have an awful lot of good to say about the Labour Party. Um, but, well, you'd be surprised privately, Michael, what people mm. might say privately and what they might say publicly but they in fell terms out of with their you. own um, uh, immediate public interest. Uh, many, many, many years ago, um, Michael remembers well. It's I mean, almost, they've given their almost, lives to the Labour Party it's, it's, and then found themselves disillusioned. Well, there are people, as I said, in the Labour Party who are always uncomfortable with making difficult choices. There mm, but they're out of the people. Labour Party. Yeah, and, and mm. uh, sometimes I call the Social Democrats the anti-coalition wing of the Labour Party and that's not to be disrespectful to them mm. because there are lots of people there who I think have difficulty making those decisions that need to be taken when you're running a country and when you're often offered Hobson's choice uh, in terms of decisions that you might need need, need to make. Um, but our point is we're, we're doers, not just talkers. Um, we're a party that, uh, although it's not keeping us awake at night, the prospect of going into government again, it's not something that we're um, particularly eager to do today. Uh, after the, you know, I'm not going to call on a door and allow the Reese Mead and say, look, mm. I've got this idea to make sure that we transition the national minimum wage to a living wage of 11.90 an hour so people can make ends meet mm. and that work is rewarded to say, well, do you know what? Mm. I'm not going to tug out. I'm not going to put my hand up and say I'm prepared to serve to do that because I think that's an absolute cul-de-sac that we're going and we leave that sort of nihilism that nonsense to parties of the extreme left and some people in Sinn Féin who won't take the responsibility of government we're not going to do that we're doers not just talkers we're a party of progress not protest Well that is uh, one of uh, the issues uh, contained in uh, this policy that uh, you spoke about yesterday on work and to bring everybody onto that living wage of 11.90 so that becomes the minimum wage uh, but then things get more expensive, don't they? Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, the uh, standard of living, what difference will that make? Uh, well, I'm very involved in the whole process of establishing what a living wage would be. And we know independently mm. from um, the organisations that we work with, the think tanks and trade unions and organisations like Social Justice Ireland and so on, that it takes about €11.90 an hour uh, for somebody to have a reasonable minimum mm. um, standard of living. Um, we've had these discussions time and again mm. on the programme. You have a different view than I have about how that would impact on, on the standard uh, of living. What we're talking about is re- reaching that incrementally. That's not going to happen overnight. Um, we, in our last election manifesto, Michael, um, established, like the Low Pay Commission has in the UK, mm. um, that there should be a basic minimum kind of floor um, of uh, hourly income that would... Uh, that would 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 um, establish that point at being we call sixty percent of median income. At the moment in Ireland, that's about eleven euro right. uh, sixty. But if, you, so. but if your but rent the, goes from a thousand euro a month to eleven hundred euro a month, do you increase it then from eleven ninety to twelve ninety? Um, I, I don't think that that would happen. I know we, we've had mm. we've had this discussion before about how prices kind of chase wages in, in, in a sense. That's not always um, the case. Uh, remember, this is a minimum standard of uh, income for a, a single person. Um, what we want to do is to make sure that the several hundred million euros that the state is paying out every year and subsidising low wages, often from you know, massive corporations, mm. um, massive retailers, for example, in terms of uh, the working family payment, uh, that we deploy that money um, towards housing and health uh, and free education rather than topping up wages uh, for big corporations who should be paying more to their staff 
um, and uh, people aren't then reliant on the social welfare system to subsidise okay. their own wages because I think that's undignified, it's unfair for anybody who works hard for a living. Has Vicky Phelan been asked to stand for the Labour Party in the next general election? Not to the best of my knowledge, but I know that Vicky um, is a great admirer of the work that Alan Kelly has done um, in relation to the cervical cancer um, screening um, debacle. Um, Vicky and uh, Stephen Teep, uh, Irene Teep, uh, the late Irene Teep's mm. husband, was at the Labour Party conference this weekend and they've worked very closely with Alan with Brendan and mm. others in the party uh, to address uh, the serious shortcomings. Rewarded for their bravery. Absolutely, the Joe Vicky Cox Award. said that um, she hasn't ruled out politics. Saying it at a, a Labour Party conference, uh, it's easy to put two and two together. Um, well, well, it is, um, but uh, I'm, I'm not aware that, that she has. I think at the same time, though, I think we'd all agree that she would be a tremendously powerful mm. voice um, in Irish politics if she uh, chose uh, to stand for public office, regardless of who it is she would choose to stand uh, for. In the, um, in the meanwhile, uh, Tony O'Brien, uh, the former Director General of the HSE, said that Dr Gabriel Scali came to no different conclusion than the HSE did uh, about the cervical cancer scandal, as bad as it, it was, but that there was this knee-jerk reaction and we'd Minister Simon Harris uh, acting like a frightened little boy. Well, you know, I wasn't in the room um, that Tony was in uh, with the minister uh, at the time. Um, but um, uh, I, I, I would say this, that um, there is a responsibility on members of parliament and a responsibility on the media um, to report things accurately and fairly. Uh, and unfortunately, we see sometimes these days um, where um, neither politicians or the media are given this time and the space to actually come to uh, conclusions about important issues. Um, we're in a 24-7 news cycle. Um, and it's certainly no criticism of anybody in this station and it's not a criticism really of the media generally I know journalists are under serious pressure to try to get to what they feel is the truth in time and it's a huge competitive um, environment um, sometimes um, we would be doing the state more service by taking a deep breath sitting back analysing things properly and coming to strong robust conclusions rather than jumping to conclusions um, at the outset um, you know, but having said that um, and I accept what the so Minister says So you think says, Tony O'Brien needs to be listened to do you? Um, 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 I think all public servants need to be listened to mm. and I think we should all learn from um, from these experiences. I do though agree with what the Minister for Health said yesterday in response to um, Tony O'Brien's um, remarks as reflected in the Sunday Business Post interview yesterday uh, when he said that you know his priority all along was, um, was the women. I believe Tony O'Brien's um, response, um, uh, um, priority all along Focus, was yeah. the women as well. Uh, I wasn't in that room uh, I don't know the dynamic of those conversations yeah. at the time. I think you would need to be there. The only people who really know the truth are Simon Harris and Tony. Tony okay. All right, look, thanks for coming in to us uh, this morning and uh, for joining us as always on the programme. That's Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash. Michael Reed on LMFM. There's always something, isn't there? Or so uh, you would be forgiven for thinking uh, and probably not too far from the truth, according uh, to a survey published uh, by AA Home Insurance today, the cost of running a home. It's 42% of what average earners in this country bring home. And we're joined by Connor Faulkner, who's uh, Director of Consumer Affairs with AA Ireland. Good morning to you, Connor, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, this is a lot of money that people are spending on uh, keeping their homes running over the course of a year, in excess of 16000 and it's a cost that's on the increase. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is a study that we do every year and we look at the total cost of owning a home and running a home, which is a little bit complicated, but basically what we do is we take the average house price and we use that to calculate the typical mortgage payment. Now, obviously, that'll people's circumstances vary, but we take our typical example as somebody who bought a house at today's average price. So we charge them for mortgage and we then look at the cost of running the house. And that looks at things like electricity, broadband, all your basic stuff that you will have in your house. It looks at the cost of replacing appliances, property tax, insurance, all of those things. And what we discover on that calculation is it's a little over 16,000, actually 16,374 mm. euro per annum is the, is, the, is the average price in our calculation. And that has moved upwards. It's 350 euro uh, more expensive than it was this time last year. Um, so it's a little sobering when you when you write it all down and add it up. Um, but you know that is the circumstance for most Irish people. The big variable in our figure is is the mortgage cost. You know, on our mm. typical calculation, you've got a mortgage cost of a little over ten thousand a year. But you know that that obviously will differ for certain people. We we also calculate the cost to people who bought their house in two thousand and seven at the height of the, the the house price boom, and the average house price was significantly more expensive then. Obviously, so those individuals actually pay about an extra five grand a year to run their homes, reflecting the fact that they're servicing a much bigger mortgage debt. God, so mortgage is, is a, a big, significant big amount of money, isn't it? Uh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but it, it's uh, the cost of the mortgage and the cost of energy or the increase in energy prices that have uh, seen this increase on an annual basis uh, for running a home. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think energy prices are the things that you keep your eye on now. Uh, they have been trending upwards and Everything in, in world factors leads us to believe that they, they may continue to trend upwards. We, should we see that in our road fuel, which we talk about sometimes as well. Mm. Um, so that's a price trend that's going up. Uh, thereafter, you're really looking at a sort of a basic cost of living increase around about somewhere between 1% and 2% uh, for, your, for your housing. Uh, and as I say, there, there, there are two enormous calculations there which affect everybody at the point when they buy their house. Um, and that is, what is the price of the house when you buy it? because that obviously you know, establishes what you'll pay in mortgage for the next 20, 25 years. Individuals who bought expensive are paying expensive. Individuals who bought cheap are paying cheap. Um, and I guess the other thing that you would look at is the cost of the variable mortgage rate. Again, to do that calculation, we look at a basket of variable mortgage rate uh, prices that are on offer to consumers countrywide, and we put all of that into um, a little formula and we calculate an average. So um, mm. you, you keep an eye on that price, which has a very significant effect on, on the cost of living. And of course, you know, to state the obvious, how much it costs you to run your house depends greatly on how much you had to pay for the bricks and mortar. So the more you paid for it, uh, the more your your annual cost. All right. Yeah. But uh, on top of that, then the ongoing cost of maintaining a home, and I suppose that'll vary from person to person, year to year. And you, if you replace all of your white goods this year, you'll probably be above that average of sixteen thousand three hundred and seventy-four euro. Uh, but you'll probably be below it next year. Yeah, and that's the way we do a calculation. Mm. We calculate the lifetime of those white goods and we would average uh, your annual spend on them uh, 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 across their lifetime. So if you've got an appliance that is uh, due to last for seven years, we'll charge you one-seventh of the price each year. Um, And we include things like um, home heating costs, maintenance and contingency. You're going Mm. to need a bit of that every year, so we put a calculation in for that. Your electricity bills, your phone and broadband, even things like cleaning products. Uh, which you know you'll buy on a regular basis. We, we throw in a basic TV package and TV license, mm-hmm. and then we include things like. 
bin charges, property tax, uh, home insurance, which obviously we know in detail about, we're home insurance providers ourselves, uh, and we put in that whole calculation in uh, just just to, to work out. So in a sense, our calculation mightn't fit anybody exactly because yeah. a lot of the figures are averages. But, um, you know, they tell us how, how things are moving up or down uh, for the typical Irish consumer. But you can have a look at it on our blog. We've all the mm-hmm. detail up there. And, and, you know, if, for example, you're paying more for your home or less for your home, well, you know, you bear that figure in mind and you can use our, our formula and calculate what your own price is. But no matter where you are, I, I, I bet people will be astonished at just how much it is when you write it all down. And at 16,000, little over 16,000 euro, um, that's 42% of the of the average national wage. Well, that's the significant figure, isn't it? Because, uh, I mean, like that, if you have a, a burst water main or you have to replace the heating system or a flat roof or something like that, you could be paying several times the average figure. But on average, it's 42% of national income of the, of the average industrial wage. Uh, but how does that compare to other countries? Because that would put it into real context, would it not? Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? And uh, very difficult for us to find exact like for like. So I, I won't claim to mm. knowledge there. But we all know that in um, European cities and, and, and uh, uh, you know, the economies that we typically compare ourselves to, OECD, etc., you do find very, very expensive property prices. And we're not the only country in the world with a property pinch. Uh, but it tends to be lumpy. So it tends to be clustered around capitals. Uh, so London and Paris, for example, have property prices that remain eye-watering and never really dipped uh, during the recession. But if you look at a country like France, for example, very difficult to, to do a one-size-fits-all uh, because there are dramatic differences in, in property prices and in property arrangements, uh, central Paris versus the Dordogne, for example. So there's an even more dramatic contrast between capital and rural in a country like France than there is here in Ireland. Uh, we also don't have the same culture in cities of apartment dwelling. Um, so the nearest rational comparison we can make is probably with um, the UK, our, our, our immediate neighbours. Um, and there what you do see is that we, we, w- we would appear to have expensive housing, particularly in our cities. Uh, this, that's not a huge shock to anybody. And the long-term solutions really... Uh, they may be very difficult to do, but diagnosing the problem is, is, is hardly rocket science. We need more housing stock. Uh, we've got to build more housing stock as fast as we possibly can because uh, we are all paying across the board for the fact that demand outstrips supply at the moment. And maybe, you know, we lost five, six, seven years of housing construction um, at the depth of the crash. Um, but, you know, and, and these things, you can't just turn them all off and on like a tap. It takes time for that capacity to gear up. But the signals have been there for a while now. We really need to build. Um, and look, that's a broader political conversation that the AA doesn't claim expertise in. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess everybody has a view on it. But we're, yeah. we're, we're short of housing and it's therefore too expensive. We all have a view on it and uh, we're all paying for uh, the failure to solve that problem, it would seem. Uh, but look, we'll leave it there for the moment, Conor. And thank you indeed for joining us this Thanks. morning. Connor Faulkner, Director of Consumer Affairs with AA Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk about uh, politics and uh, to some degree the politics uh, that may decide the date for the next general election. Eileen Brophy, our political editor, is on the line. Uh, Eileen, there's the prospect of a, a Brexit deal which could feed into Fine Gael thinking indeed, Fianna Fáil thinking for that matter. Uh, there's the issue of Padre Tobin for Sinn Féin. But let's start with the
the Labour Party if we can. And uh, come the next general election, Brendan Howland has been suggesting that people would look at some of the other left-leaning parties, such as the Green Party or the Social Democrats or the progressively independent candidates, uh, as uh, they put it. Jed Nash was telling us earlier on the programme that the Labour Party doesn't have a, a franchise on wisdom. Are they unwise, though, in making these suggestions, given that this is a, a one-way street and Labour endorsing candidates who aren't returning the favour as such? Yeah, well, I think Labour are in a very difficult situation. Um, you know, there, there's so many parties to the left uh, they're, you know, an independent to the left. There's more than, than we ever had. And they've been taken over from, like, people like Sinn Féin um, and then the other smaller parties uh, around the country that, that we have, which we mostly, suppose, be, be in Dublin, but there are some out around the country as well. And they have really, they have um, taken over, I suppose, robbed their clothes to a certain extent. And they were able to do this because uh, the Labour Party were in government mm. um, at the time. And there were very difficult decisions to be made. And the Labour Party made those decisions um, in order to get the country back on its feet. The country is back on its feet for, for most people, or for many people, but not for everybody. Uh, but the Labour Party are not getting any thanks for that. Uh, so they have to think outside the box. They have to think of something new. Mm. We had to be at the row between uh, with the, in, in, within the party uh, in September, I think that was, or early September, late August. Uh, and now they, they had the general conference. So they have to give something really new uh, to their own people and um that's what they did now i did you know i did see um roisin um over sure the weekend yeah. mm-hmm. as she when she was asked about this about labor because she mm-hmm. was obviously a member of the labor party and left um you know i could see she there was a smile on her face but she wasn't given anything away of whether she would or she wouldn't take part in this and some of those smaller parties just might take part uh, in, in something like that, and uh, you know, it gave it gave Brendan Howland something different uh, to talk about this weekend. And as I said earlier, he did think outside the box. Mm. And and do you think there's merit in it, uh, or does it smack of desperation? Given that Labour doesn't seem to be able to hold up support uh, on its own merit, uh, especially when you talk about Roisin Shortall, because she was a, a member of the Labour Party uh, and uh, took on the role as Junior Health Minister. Uh, and whilst Labour were making these decisions with Fine Gael, she couldn't stand over them and she couldn't stand over how James Riley was taking full control of the health department and its budget and the decision to locate primary health centres in Lusk in North County Dublin in his own constituency. So she left. Uh, and now Labour is cozying up to Roisin Shortall. Yeah, well, I think, you know, she left, I mean, she was junior minister uh, in health and uh, health, I, I mean, health has just never been sorted. I don't know if it ever will be sorted, uh, but you know, she was, she couldn't stand over a lot of the things that were been uh, mooted in health and she 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 had to leave and then she left the Labour Party because she kind of felt she didn't get support but I think now that Brendan Howland's at the you know the, hel- the helm of that mm. there's a possibility that she could do some maybe do business with them I don't know whether she could mm. or she couldn't but there's a possibility that she could and you know when it comes up to an election um, you know if, uh, Labour are looking for second thirds or whatever 
for a whole lot of the parties to the left. So he's trying really to cozy up to the parties to the left. Labour are probably centre left, left, um, and uh, so they're they're cozying up to these to see if they can, you know, maybe form some kind of an um, an alliance with them in the next general election. And I think myself, I don't think um, it, it, it's a stupid thing. I think it might be a quite a clever thing mm. to do. But um, I don't know if the others will agree with it. When it comes to an election, no one is going to say no. I don't want Labour members to give me my number two. Yeah. Um, so they, they they will take that. All right. Uh, and when do you think the next general election will be? Or to put that another way, do you believe it'll be before April of next year? Because that's a, a very important six-month time frame in terms of Padre Tobin's future within the Sinn Féin party. Yes. Um, and I can understand his fears of that. And I can see where he, you know, he's saying things like uh, that he really has been more or less sacked rather than suspended because if there is a general general election and he he seems to think there might be a general election uh, I, there definitely won't be one now before Christmas and we all were worried about a Christmas election and never thought it was going to happen there could be if there was a breakdown in talks there could be one in uh, January well February not January but February um, and Kenny went twice in mm. February um, and didn't do much good the last time round so uh, I think like the preferable time would be I think May around that but then we're into local elections we're into um, European elections so like what time is good for it so I think we, we have to have a look and see um, will will this government test the water with the local elections um, or will they feel see a time and just think you know as you said earlier about Brexit hmm. uh, let's go but Brexit is changing so blooming fast and so often that it would be an awful chance to take because it could fall flat in his face in the middle of a general election and uh, you'd want to be very sure that that wasn't going to happen Fianna Fáil again will you know would look for something that's that they can they can go on that they want to um that 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 the people wouldn't, I suppose, uh, blame them for the election. Uh, so, but that is difficult too. We all still remember, even though it's a long time ago now. Jim Kemmy and he brought the government down over tax on children's shoes, and he lost a seat mm. in that election. So everybody's very wary about um, a general election, and the people might accept one maybe in in, in uh, you know in the summer, but like. They didn't, they didn't accept the presidential election and they didn't come out and vote. And that could be a disaster um, mm. if, if that happened again. And for Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin didn't get their vote out for the presidential election. Uh, so they'd want to be very careful too on, on how they feel about all of this. Padre Tobin has been given a six-month uh, suspension, which is, I know he gave, had another six-month suspension before, yeah. Yeah. but um, if they thought there was an election coming up and they want him to run, I would have thought they could have given him a little less because we all knew that he was going to vote um, against the abortion legislation. They knew he was mm. going to do it as well. He's already uh, served, you know, six months out in the cold uh, over the protection, protection of life uh, in pregnancy, which is the same thing, really. Mm. And um, now they've given him another six months. So, you know, have they somebody else in mind? I know McCarthy uh, 
uh, is going in Kevin Monaghan? Would you know? Would he prefer? Would he be better off going there? Is have the other? Have they something in mind? I think that's what we have to think about. Uh, you know, I spoke to Sinn Fein. I'm told six months is six months. The rules are the rules. And, and that's it. So there's been no point in him uh, applying early uh, to come back in from into the fold that he won't he won't be taken back in. Okay. So it is a difficult mm. one. Yeah. Well, there won't be an election, obviously, if a deal is struck between yes. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael uh, and they can renew the confidence and supply uh, agreement. This agreement, which Fianna Fáil has uh, in order to facilitate uh, the minority uh, government, uh, is it possible, do you think? I, I think they, they say that the the three main points in the talks are broadband, health and housing. Yeah, well, I mean, health is very difficult. Housing, very difficult. We're really, um, there are there are so many problems uh, in, in both of these. In health in particular, if you look at health, um, they, they, Fianna Fáil really don't have any say uh, in health. You know, they don't have a, an investment in it uh, as such. In housing, uh, very similarly, um, it's, you know, have they got a, a plan? Um, do they want their plan bro- brought into force? Or is the Fine Gael plan or the new plan uh, starting to work? The broadband, broadband, I think, is going to be the big thing in this election. Uh, the next general election mm. that we have, uh, the farmers are up in, in, in arms, all the businesses in the, around the rural Ireland are up in arms, like there's 540,000 people without any broadband. Now, what Fianna Fáil are looking for, um, and, you've, I, and I know they're keeping things very close to their chest about what, you know, what is going on at these negotiations. I have never seen that happen before. But on the broadband situation, uh, I know the Fianna Fáil definitely want the state, a state body. So they are, like, they're talking about, um, uh, you know, people like uh, Irish Water, uh, you know, to fix it. When you look at Irish Water, I mean, everyone immediately kind of says to themselves, Irish Water, uh, you know, and it made headlines there on the weekend. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, um, like, Irish Water couldn't mm. sort out Irish Water. How will they sort this out? But then if you look at the companies that Irish Water own, like Irvia and that who they also own, um, you know, huge infrastructure companies, that it is possible that they probably could take it over. Then there's the ESB and there's Borden and Mona. There's a whole lot of these uh, state bodies. Fianna Fáil feel that the government has to ignore them uh, on, all of, on this issue for quite a long time. But, but Fianna Fáil are, are saying, look, this is the only way forward. Broadband is hopelessly compromised. Uh, and they don't believe that well, you know, Peter Smith, who uh, obviously investigations all, uh, will, will come up with a solution either that, that they feel it has been compromised. So what do you do? You have to do something like hand it over to a state body. But then Fianna Gael are saying, no, that can't happen. If that happens, it's going to prolong the whole exercise. We have to start all over again. And they're saying, no, that that absolutely won't happen. So we have to, I think we have to sit and wait and see what's going to happen on this particular issue. Uh, this is the big issue, I think, yeah. um, for Fianna Fáil and at those, the moment. And those talks ongoing. We leave it there for the moment, Eileen. Thank you indeed, as Thanks, always. Michael. Our political editor, Eileen Brophy. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. Plenty of response to your interview at the top of the show with uh, Senator Gerald Nash. Sean from Drogheda. He believes that the Labour Party lost the trust of the people 
when the party was in government last time round and thinks it's going to take a long time before voters forget all the promises that they broke. It seems to him that they are desperate to be back in power but believes that they should be in opposition and get back to their principles before they look to be in government again. Okay, well I think Jed Nash was saying uh, they're not losing sleep over the prospect of returning to government. I doubt that they uh, would uh, look for it uh, given uh, their experience last time around but uh, then again uh, the Labour Party never fails to surprise. Seamus from Dundalk feels that if Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil can have an alliance why can't Labour and the Green Party? The problem is that Labour have been drifting to the right. They need to regain their identity again and he thinks it's a good idea to kind of strike up this kind of alliance or arrangement mm. with other smaller parties of the same kind of principles, if you like. Mm. Well, that's if the same <laughs> principled parties believe that their principles are uh, in line with yours and they're willing to form an alliance. It takes two to tangle. It sure does. Braid from Drada thinks that the Green Party should stay well away from Labour, thinks that Labour are damaged goods after their last performance in government. Mary from Drogheda thinks that Jed Nash has done great work in terms of the minimum wage and these are the sort of campaigns that Labour should be doing. Okay. Uh, a text from Fran who says that Jed Nash blowing about what the Labour Party are going to do. The party nailed the working man to the floor uh, in the past. Alan Kelly tried to bring in water charges. Fran doesn't believe that they have a future. Mm. The problem in Ireland, says Jim, is that all the parties he feels are so similar. What is the real difference? He thinks there's very little choice if there is an election. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that, yeah. A good idea, thinks Derek from Brendan Howland. The parties of the left need to unite, he feels, in order to challenge the big guns of Fianna Fáil and Fine okay. Gael. All right. <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, it, it is easy to understand uh, but uh, what's not as easy to work out is who is further left than the other Um, Another listener just rang in to say I wonder did this come as a surprise to the other parties that Labour now want to play ball with them (laughs) It seems as though it did Yeah, I mean I I don't know I I think it was a peculiar thing to have stood uh, at a a national conference and to make such a suggestion without putting out feeders without coming to some sort of an agreement beforehand and uh, I imagine there were a lot of people surprised uh, in the Labour Party let alone in the Green Party or the Social Democrats for that matter uh, we had a text from a listener just responding to your interview with Conor Faulkner. And it was a text, Michael, so yeah. I, I can't give you the full thrust. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It just says, hi, Michael, how can car insurance go to €500 Euro from moving from the Dublin Road to Green Hills? Mm. It's mad. So I'm assuming There's that's one part of Drogheda yeah. mm-hmm. to the other one side of the town to the mm. other side and there's been a change in the premium. Another mm. listener, Grania, everything is gone up in the home, Michael. It's dearer to heat uh, homes. The cost of bin charges just seems to be creeping up every year. So too is insurance. However, the wages are not reflecting this. I feel that a lot of people are feeling the pinch even though it appears that the recession is over with the prices of everything. Mm. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. There's uh, two sides uh, to whether we're in recovery or not. Uh, there's a lot of things uh, that would indicate uh, there is a, a recovery, but uh, if you can't afford them, well, that's a different thing. On your interview with Eileen Brophy, mm. uh, there was just a couple of comments in relation to Deputy Pather Tobin. Uh, a listener, Dermot, says, uh, Pather knew what the repercussions would be if he voted against the party. However... I agree with your guest that they could have suspended him for three months but by opting for six months there's every chance now that he won't be running for Sinn Féin and if that's the case Dermot believes that Sinn Féin deserve to lose the seat he feels that Padder has been shafted. Okay, well, he won't run, uh, he won't stand uh, against uh, a Sinn Féin candidate, at least that's his position as uh, we speak. Uh, That may change, uh, of course, that is, if there is to be an election before April, if there is uh, to be an election after April. Uh, It's not a a foregone conclusion that Peter Dobin has a future in Sinn Féin anyway because of uh, the opposing views uh, that he holds uh, on uh, the right to life or to uh, pro-life views that he has compared to the position that the party is taking on abortion. Susan is curious to know if all Sinn Féin party members who voted no are also going to be, well she says expelled, but suspended. I totally respect Pather Tobin's decision to vote with his moral consciousness in this very personal referendum say Susan. I presume she means uh, members of Sinn Féin uh, who voted in the referendum. Uh, The answer to that is no, there's uh, no consequence for that. Okay, another listener. This is how Sinn Féin treats hard-working members. You clearly cannot have any personal beliefs in Sinn Féin. You have to toe the party line or else. I hope Padder does run as an independent and takes the seat from Sinn Féin. Okay, well, as think O'Snoddy said to us, uh, it's a, a democratic position uh, that the party has come to. That's uh, the Sinn Féin view because it was mm-hmm. a position that was decided on by the members of Sinn Féin at uh, the Ordesh, last Ordesh. Another listener wonders, where does this leave Pather to be now? Is he still acting as a TD for the people in Mid-West? Hmm. He, he is, is, yeah. He's an independent TD as we speak, yes. 
And um, just moving on to a different topic in relation to the to hospital situation and trolleys, Deirdre and Kells was in touch just to say that she hopes that there is a pa- plan put in place for the winter months, Michael, or we are going to be on uh, the show again talking about the numbers not having beds. Well, I'm not sure that that's the case, Deirdre, uh, because uh, if there is to be a national plan, maybe they could look at what they've been doing locally, where they've seen one of the worst hospitals, one of the worst regions turn the bad news on its head and become a, a hospital, uh, namely Our Lady of Lourdes, which is uh, the uh, emergency centre, mm-hmm. I suppose, uh, for the region, uh, really uh, operating so efficiently at this stage that it's rare that anybody is treated on a trolley. But I think nationally they are predicting that there's going to be a surge, aren't they? They are, the yes. Numbers, but that's, nationally, but not mm, in the Lords. Yeah, and, but that's what I'm saying, that maybe yes. they could follow the example of yes. what's happened in the Lords, that it's gone from this dire situation into this very positive news situation. Yeah. Then on to the situation regarding the schools, Michael, and the safety concerns. Jared from Ashburn just rang in to say, uh, is there going to be an investigation into how this happened, he wonders, just to make sure that it doesn't happen again and to get the bottom of it. Jared feels that even though most of the schools are now back in operation, that someone should be held accountable and there's still a need for answers. Mm, well, I would hope so, I imagine so, and I certainly would hope so, and I'd imagine everybody would uh, imagine so and hope so for that matter. <laughs> All right, well, we'll finish on that one from Jared. Right, thanks for that, Jared, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. Thanks, Marie, for that matter. If you'd like to add to what's being said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, we'll talk about the broadband plan and indeed the concern that there is for delivering broadband nationally with Fianna Fáil TD, Declan Brannock, who is very concerned about this being delayed until at least 2020. Good morning to you. But as you're in Dundalk, uh, this morning, I, I take it uh, you might have some other things on your mind as well. Well, it's a quiet town this morning, Michael, and I think it's opportune that I would congratulate the Dundalk Football Club and indeed um, uh, the wonderful success in the double, but especially to Stephen Kenny, the management, indeed the team, but especially the supporters. Um, we're looking forward, obviously, tonight to celebration uh, at the square where, obviously, uh, the Dundalk Municipal District will be honouring them and um, it's great boost for the town. It lifts the spirits, especially coming into mm. uh, Christmas. And uh, I think all concerned would be congratulated. Absolutely. Fantastic achievement again. Uh, and no doubt uh, many will come out uh, and uh, show their ongoing support and joy for that matter, as you say. Uh, let's talk a, a little bit about broadband now, though. Uh, this is a plan that is in complete disarray and uh, the solution unknown at this stage. Absolutely. Look at Michael, the bottom line for, for our listeners here is that they want high-speed broadband and they need it quickly. You know, whether it's to educate your children from home, uh, uh, to compete uh, and to do business, be you a farmer or somebody who's in a, a small SME. Uh, there's equally a myth out there uh, that it's just rural areas that are affected by the failure of the government to deliver uh, on its promises. Indeed, uh, the biggest issue in my office, aside from health and housing issues, is the unavailability of broadband. And believe it or not... Do you, do you mean in Dundalk? Sorry no, 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 it's not just... It's right, right across the constituency. And indeed, uh, I'll give a, a perfect example. If you go into East Meath, for example, in places in Leighton and Bettystown, right, yeah. uh, the new housing estates that were never on maps 
uh, are literally been provided with old rope, I suppose, the fibre optic service uh, that is available in urban areas. There's no doubt that the, the large urban areas, uh, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to, to, to live in the town of Dock, Drogheda, or indeed uh, RD and Dunlear, that you have an excellent service. Mm. But high-speed broadband access should not depend on where you're from. It is essential to a person today when they're considering buying a house or building a house, as electricity and water services were in the past, we still have 1.1 million people affected uh, with undue delays in the rollout of broadband. Uh, look at Michael Finafall have raised this issue uh, for the last 14 months that there are problems. Uh, we've been ignored, uh, and the is- issue has. But we were in the end game when it all fell apart. Say again. We were in the end game, weren't we? Absolutely. Uh, we've had commitments. Uh, indeed, going far back as Enda Kenny as Taoiseach, that it would be rolled out in 2015, that moved out to 2018. Mm. And now, we're, as I would describe it, to infinity and beyond, the figure, the date for the earliest possible start date of the rollout of broadband is now being given as 2020. But is this a wheel that needs to be reinvented? Uh, uh, absolutely. It, this crisis in broadband has lurched uh, from, from a crisis to another crisis. And the project, in my view, will rate as a monumental failure in the valuation and management of large public projects in the history of this state. We're, we, we have to remember that people mm. pulled out of the bidding process, and probably the reason they pulled out was because of the sort of uh, financial figures uh, that were being offered uh, in terms of the tendering process. But we're now changing from a figure of almost $500 million to uh, a possible figure of $3 billion. And the reality is that, you know, there, it's incumbent... Uh, while we're waiting on, on Peter Casey, who is the auditor appointed, to look at whether there was uh, a flaw in the process or whether it was compromised, indeed, my view is that it has been compromised, uh, there should be... Because of the relationship the minister had with Mr McCourt. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, uh, we're expecting that report this week. But the Fianna Fáil view on this is that you can't wait uh, on report. OK, you but you're, 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 you're expecting it to be found that the process has been compromised. And what does that mean? Back to the drawing board? Uh, absolutely. Right. And if that's the case, we, we have companies within this state who have a competency to deliver this. They mm. were involved in the original uh, tendering and pulled out, probably because they saw that it couldn't be done with the figures that were uh, were being touted at the time. The reality is this, that companies like the ESB and indeed Irish Water have been touted, but especially ESB, mm. they have the, the competency, they have the skill, and indeed they have the reach to be able to, to deliver this project. Well, will if, Fianna Fáil ensure that that is the case? Uh, we, we, we believe that there is a need for a twin-track approach. Ah, yeah, and, but and, what will you ensure? Well, I, I'm quite confident uh, that in the confidence and supply mm. negotiation that's happening, uh, together with health uh, uh, and housing, that broadband... Oh, I thought you sorted out housing in the last budget. Well, sure, we, we, we would like to think that mm. we're on the road, but unfortunately uh, these things take time, Michael, and uh, people's patience are wearing out, as are my own. Right. So, will Fianna Fáil put any red lines down uh, going into the confidence and supply talks, or uh, is there any guarantee that there will be a, a plan with a, a time frame mapped out for the delivery of the broadband plan, or for a solution to the housing crisis? Uh, I would expect uh, that uh, the negotiators will lay out uh, clear timelines 
on all of the issues that are relevant, as I've said, both housing and uh, and, and health, but together with broadband. We must remember that the Taoiseach mm. pledged recently his personal responsibility uh, in intervening and that he would make sure that it would happen. We have got to ensure that that the commercial decision that people are waiting on provides people with an ability to connect. The, the bottom line here is, and I think it's important because your listeners will, 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 will be aware, that what is happening here is that you can go up and down Bohreens where air have come in and provided a service to five houses on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a small road and ignore the other five. It, just because a map of the computer says no... I mean, the, the reality is this, that whether it's commercial or otherwise, that the maps that, in my view, that were created for this supply are frustrating people. If but do you, do you accept that Fianna Fáil has the ability to negotiate a solution to this now? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's incumbent on us to do that. And uh, So is it a red line issue? It is, and I think it's important to state the position of Minister Bruton. We had Leo Radker saying on the weekend that there was no plan B, mm. and we have had uh, Minister Bruton, who has taken responsibility for this uh, portfolio, saying that there is no plan B. Mm. It's now emerging that that the Minister is expected to announce a rollout plan for the remote areas will not commence until 2020 at the earliest. Uh, this is not acceptable. We've identified the flaws, as I said earlier to you, going back a long way. Fianna Fáil will need concrete assurances, regardless of the current tendering problems, that the key priority is to deliver without further procrastination mm. and provide the necessary funding. OK, but 20, 2020 is a little over a year away. Uh, uh, so when are you saying it will happen? Uh, I, 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 I'm not... That's above my grade, but I do believe, Michael, that we have expert firms out there... If, if this process has been flawed, that the minister can mm. lay out, in conjunction with the confidence supply arrangement, a timetable, the necessary funding, and a competent mechanism for the infrastructure to be, to be delivered. But within the next 12 months, let's say, before November of next year? Uh, in my view, it should be deliverable within a 12 to 18 month period. But that's not a red line. It, of course it is. By the way, there should be no political... Uh, uh, game playing here in relation to this. This is an essential that the, the, the people and the children of this country need to stay up, as I've said, in their education. No. Whether you're a farmer looking to, 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 to do business. Yeah, but if you're representing those farmers or, or, or those uh, people in uh, the housing estates in Meadies that you were talking about uh, who believe they're not in the country and don't understand why they have rural broadband or lack of it, uh, well then surely it's not political game playing, it's responsible politics to say, look, either we solve this now or you don't get the deal you're looking for and that you pull out of the confidence and supply agreement and you go to the people and let them vote on it. Yeah, I am quite sure that that will be on the agenda as well if we don't get clear commitments in the ability of this government to deliver on the three issues uh, and particularly on the broadband issue it's an election issue and if they're not capable of doing it I have no doubt that when a report comes back to a parliamentary party in relation to those three critical areas along with others that uh, Fianna Fáil will make a stand I anticipate that the government are sensible to, to realise that massive mistakes have been made in the tendering process. Isn't this why and Fine Gael has a 13-point lead on you? Because you say this and nobody believes you because your record speaks for itself and you said that you would hold the government to account on housing uh, and that that would happen in the budget. Uh, 
the re- that and the reason you said that was because you weren't going to vote against Owen Murphy. You weren't going to say you had no confidence in him because you said motions achieve nothing. We'll do this in the budget. The budget came. The budget went. No difference. And here you are going into these talks Mike, saying, Michael, "Oh, we'll find a solution now." Michael, it's very easy to pull the plug on any issue and would be. Uh, no, not any issue. Housing. It, it, would, it would be irresponsible to have unstable government. We committed to a confidence supply, and if we get, if we get, mm. but you came out of the budget saying we solved the housing crisis, and now you're saying we're going to go in and solve the housing. Well, crisis. Most most people and your listeners are reasonable in this regard that you can't click your fingers and deliver overnight. But the reality is that on this particular matter. Uh, and housing and health, we're failing to deliver. And maybe it is a course on all your houses, and maybe there are people out there who say it is time for election. And if it is, let, let's bring it on. But we, as a responsible minority party in the Dáil, are obliged to try and provide stability and also to offer an alternative. And we will do that when, when, when an election is called. When the polls, if, if, when the polls are, are, are more in favour of your party. Uh, Michael, uh, I've been 28 years involved in both local government and now national uh, government. Can I just simply say to you, I'd never fear an election. Uh, The people make up their mind in terms of whether I or other public representatives are doing their jobs to the best of their ability. And my job uh, in terms of dealing with the broadband issues, I think anybody who has spoken to my office, and there are many, will find that I do it within the constraints of of my position uh, and will continue to do so. The reality is that government here have got to step up to the mark and give those concrete assurances that the key priority will be to deliver within an announced timetable, no fudging as has happened, as I said, 2015, Mm. 2018, and now going on to 2020. Give the people out there who are champing at the bit, looking for the service, give them the times the timetable of when they can get it, equally commit to the funding and put a competent uh, tendering uh, company who can deliver for the people. And I believe that the ESB has never been far off the mark on that. They're pulled out because of the incompetency in terms of the costing uh, and their inability to provide it with the cost. As I said, we've now moved from $500 million to a possible $3 billion, and it's time to bring players back to the table if Peter Casey, the auditor, finds that there has been uh, a compromise in that in, or in a, a, an issue with the integrity of the process. And if, it's, if that process has been irredeemably damaged, it is incumbent on Minister Bruton, in conjunction with all parties in the, in the Dáil, to give a clear timetable, funding, and put the competent people in to deliver the project. What about Peter Casey, the presidential election candidate, uh, will he ever lead your party into an election? Um, look, at, uh, sure, we all would love to lead. Uh, uh, some of us are humble mm. enough to, to, to want to be participants and, and, and offer something to the country. Um, I wish Peter Casey well, but he certainly won't be. Uh, I don't think he's a member of Fianna Fáil. He may mm. have Fianna Fáil leniencies. Uh, you just can't walk in and decide that you're not alone, that you're going to stand for the doll, uh, but equally that you're going to be party leader. Uh, and maybe he's foolhardy in that respect. Uh, and, and maybe it shows an inability to know how uh, politics works. But I wish him well. I, I don't believe there's space for him in Donegal. Uh, I think it's already been indicated. In fact, I chaired the convention that selected the two candidates, mm. uh, both Charlie McGonagall and Logan Patrick Gallagher. Uh, so uh, that that particular avenue is certainly closed. Sure. Do you think your party, though, should find space for him somewhere else? Uh, if he joins the same way as mm. anybody else, yeah. uh, uh, 
works within uh, the rules of party and organisation, Peter Casey is entitled to join the same as the next. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, thank, for joining us uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil TD for Louth, Declan Brannock. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, whilst it has been dismissed and Peter Casey won't be joining Fianna Fáil in Donegal and going on to be the Taoiseach, I think Declan Brannock is not the first of the Fianna Fáil TDs who's said he wouldn't rule out him joining the party and looking to stand somewhere in the country. And Peter Casey's success in the presidential campaign certainly has... Uh, caused a, a lot of interest in where he'll go from here and as to why his vote went from 2% to 23%. Pat O'Toole is the news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Good morning, Pat, and thanks for joining us. Uh, and you say that he articulated uh, the voice of rural Ireland, uh, which uh, feels uh, as uh, though it's uh, been neglected. I don't know that he articulated the voice, uh, but but uh his campaign resonated. Um, I, I think you have to separate what Peter Casey said and the tactics he used to gain uh, columnages and to gain airtime during the election, which I, I wouldn't be a fan of, um, and the vote he got, which needs to be examined because it was a predominantly a rural vote. And uh, you could draw the analysis the comparison with the UKIP vote in in in, uh, in the UK, or with the Tea Party vote in the states twelve fourteen years ago, when the Tea Party began to become a force to the right of the Republican Party, in that people who feel they're being ignored, who feel that their voice is not being listened to, who feel they're being squeezed out, the squeezed middle, and especially the rural squeezed middle, feel that that no one's listening to them and their vote uh, is not to be taken for granted by the two main parties who up till now have always dominated uh, the vote in rural Ireland. In what way do people feel ignored? Um, So many ways. I suppose uh, it it was very well put by an American politician last week talking about the run-up to the midterm elections, you know, in a very polarised American politics. Um, he, he's an Irish-American politician, uh, John Kennedy in Louisiana, a Republican, and he said that uh, people in the middle are tired of handing uh, bailouts to the people above them and handouts to the people below them. And they feel that they're being uh, pressed every time there's there's a, a problem, uh, money's taken from them, <clears throat> handed up or down. And uh, I think that's the experience of people in, uh, in, in rural Ireland. Uh, the problems aren't being fixed, and uh, the list of, of problems is increasing all the time. If you look at what's going on with broadband, if you look at what's going on with Borden Mamona, if you look at the talk around climate change and how uh, people, especially the farming community, have been told they're going to have to shoulder the cost of climate change um, adaptation and mitigation. If you look at uh, transport, rural transport, the lack of transport, if you look at Shane Ross talking about uh, taking L drivers off the road where people are scrimping and scraping to get their kids uh, uh, insured on cars and the cost of insurance is a huge issue largely because of insurance fraud and and ex- excessive uh, payouts by, by judges. 
and then when you insure them they can't drive on their own until they have a full licence there's a huge backlog people can't get the test um, it's very expensive to take lessons and the test itself is arbitrary and goes around uh, it goes around small country towns or urban centres it doesn't focus on where the carnage is happening on our roads on rural roads at all so the test is inappropriate expensive and it prevents people who are often times are perfectly capable of driving on their own the statistics don't seem to show that uh, that L drivers are are more likely to be involved in a fatality than uh, than non L drivers, especially during the daytime. Uh, younger drivers, do, uh, when they when they have accidents, tends to be at night, and uh, speed and alcohol are factors. But Shane Ross seems immune to to all those arguments. That's just one one example. Yeah, but uh, it's look, a very bad example, is it not? Uh, I mean, are you suggesting that are you suggesting that people are you? But just to ask the question, are you suggesting that people should be allowed on the road uh, when they've failed a test to see if they're capable of driving on the road? No, what I this is the hold up, the delay that ha- people have in getting the test. Mm. Accessing the test is a problem. I'm losing you. You've examined the test lately, Michael, but the test is the test does not test people's ability to drive on country roads. It tests their ability to negotiate box junctions with an ag- inadequate signalling <coughs> in urban mm. towns. It tests their ability to do uh, three point turns states. It doesn't test their ability to overtake. I don't know how much driving you do in rural Ireland, probably as much as the rest of us. The the bad driving on Roads, tailgating, uh, overtaking in inappropriate places, bad lane positions. But the test is the test for people to pass you. That's and I mean, you can say you can you can suggest you can suggest the leaving cert doesn't measure somebody's uh, ability uh, to uh, leave school and work uh, in uh, a a, a situation where they're employed uh, because uh, it doesn't apply. But it's a test. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I mean, but the the leaving cert has been revamped. consistently. Mm. Uh, the driving test is untouched amid, amid all the changes around our driving laws. The driving test hasn't been touched in 30 years. Uh, the, uh, the, the okay, but itself, the, re- the, re- the reason there's a, a long delay now is because people are, are being taken off the road because they've been driving for years without bothering to go no, for a test. The reason, the reason for the delay is that the, the demand is not being met by the supply. That's but the demand has simple. increased uh, the, because people have realised you can't drive unaccompanied on three, four, five, six, seven uh, learner permits. Well, I, I don't I don't think that that's the main reason. I think the main reason is just the sheer volume. The, the country's expanding, just like the reason for our, our health service issues. Um, we have an expanding population, we have a young population, and, and the, they and their parents are getting increasingly frustrated. Look, we could go down the blind alley of, of mm. arguing about the driving test, but well, I suppose the central point I'm, I'm, I'm mm. making here, Michael, is in terms of the frustrations of people in rural Ireland who feel they're not being listened to. And it, if you look at uh, rural politicians like... Michael Healy-Ray, like Matty McGrath, mm. like Michael Fitzmaurice and Ming Flanagan, they stood out on the, and this is the reason why I mentioned that issue, they stood out on the driving issue, and that resonated with rural people. Mm. Uh, but Peter Casey that, didn't. Peter Casey spoke about travellers, no, uh, and he spoke about welfare chiefs. Peter Casey spoke about travellers, but, but that resonated in terms of, uh, I, I, I think it's very important we don't mix up the messenger and the message and the support he got. But I think that there is a, a sense of absolute frustration that people are not tackling the issues of people in the middle. Leo Varadkar talked when he became leader of Fine Gael that he wanted to represent people who got up early in the morning. And people who get up early in the morning and who are working hard feel that 
uh, they're being taxed to the hilt and that the money's going to the people above them and it's going to the people below them and that they are the forgotten sector of this society. And while I don't think that we have 23% of the people in Ireland and I don't think an excess of 30% in many rural constituencies of people are, are bigoted or would... Uh, would speak the way that Peter Casey did about the travelling community. I felt that someone was willing to be politically incorrect. Someone was willing to say uh, on a specific issue that that he he centred his claims around the one of the housing state in Tipperary. Hmm. It resonated with people who think that uh, there is a sense of the sectors in Ireland that uh, uh, there's a, there's a sense that they are not being represented and that they're their uh, their issues are not being fought for hard enough, and that there's too much political correctness. Is it not odd to, odd to say uh, that people voted for somebody who wasn't afraid to be politically incorrect uh, in a presidential election when we're looking for somebody to be presidential and to to be pragmatic and diplomatic? Well, I think that one of the reasons, perhaps, why the vote was was. Uh, gained so much so quickly was that there was a sense from the very beginning that this election was over, rightly or wrongly. There was a sense that Michael D. Higgins was uh, uh, going to win, no mm, matter what happened. And was going to win comfortably. Yeah. And people yeah. felt they had a free hit. And I suppose that the issue that we rose in the Farmers Journal is that the question is, do we, do we ignore that and do we look on it as just a sort of a scream in the dark? Or do the politicians, many of whom, many rural politicians who... Uh, would identify with the issues that that we're raising and who would understand them when Mm. they're talking in country halls to small groups. They don't seem to gain traction on those issues in Dublin. So uh, the question is, what's going to happen next? And and that people in rural Ireland... And or people in rural Ireland aren't part of the group think. I think that's your argument, isn't it? That, that this Dublin-led group think uh, and that people in rural Ireland uh, may be anti-abortion or would have voted against the same-sex marriage referendum. Yeah, well, well I, I, I think in terms of the group think, I think there's a, there's a broad range of haters, but, but there's a sense that they, certainly, I, I think in the two referenda, uh, the same amendment referenda, that of, I'm losing you there. Sorry, there was a certain element of the commentariat who seemed to think that it was inappropriate to hold sincerely held views where people opposed the uh, same-sex amendment uh, uh, or opposed the Eighth Amendment repeal. And uh, there's a huge frustration that people, uh, sh- they, they, they feel that they, they shouldn't be silenced in that way. Or that well, there was intolerance on both sides, in, in fairness, Pat. It, yeah, well, well, actually, yeah. I think there was some intolerance, but there was there was a general tolerance in the Eighth Amendment debate, in particular, when you consider how uh, how sensitive the subject is, and, well, and compared to nineteen eighty three, the subject was, yeah. is mm-hmm. compared, especially compared mm-hmm. to nineteen eighty three. Yeah. But but there was that sense that that it was people were sort of being frowned at for holding views that, um, uh, so that that feels as well. Uh, people who are a little bit more socially conservative and who are part of the squeezed middle. And that is, if you look at especially um, politics in, in the UK and America, and, and if you, uh, you see that that was the combination where social conservatism met with 
sort of frustrated uh, if you want to call them middle class or I think just working class people, people earning an average wage who are working hard to try and educate their kids and get them on and worry about the future, worry about how any other kids will ever be able to afford a house in Dublin where all the jobs are. Mm. Uh, will they emigrate? Who worry about uh, how they're going to pay the bills at the end of every month? And then they see the people above and below them who seem to have more disposable income and seem to have none of the, the fears that they have and, and the cares that they have. Okay. And that frustration mm. did lead to uh, the loss of the sort of centrist uh, dominance of our politics, which most Irish people would say is uh, has been uh, a force for tolerance and a force for, for uh, steady progress. Okay, well, uh, people can read more of your thoughts, obviously, in uh, the journal this week. Uh, it's a, a, an interesting subject to delve into, uh, and uh, I suppose people listening to us will know whether you're right or wrong, uh, but we'll leave it there for the moment, Pat, and thank you very much indeed uh, for joining you're us. You're very welcome, Mike. Thank you. Pat O'Toole, news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Taoiseach Leo Vratker has said that the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, has handled the health department with ability, empathy and maturity. This is after Minister Harris being described as a frightened little boy or a minister who acted like a frightened little boy during uh, the controversy relating to cervical check. This was in an interview Tony O'Brien gave to the Sunday Business Post this week. Michael Brennan, political editor with the Sunday Business Post, joins us now. And good morning, Michael, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Mr. O'Brien certainly didn't mince his words. No, he certainly didn't. Um, he, um, he, in his interview with my colleague Susan Mitchell, our health editor, he literally, I suppose, took quite a swipe at Simon Harris. It's not often you hear a, a HSC retired chief executive uh, calling someone uh, the same, describing that they were like a frightened little boy. Obviously, Simon Harris has uh, defended himself, as you mentioned, the Taoiseach Leo Radker has defended Simon Harris. Um, but it's a sign of, I suppose, how angry Tony O'Brien feels about the pressure that was put on him to go sooner than he was scheduled to over the cervical check scandal. And there's a, you know, there's quite a lot of criticism for the Public Accounts Committee as well. Mm-hmm. And some more guarded criticism of the very people in the HSC who I think are probably directly responsible for the, for the scandal. I think the politicians certainly are open to criticism, but I think ultimately this was a HSC failure. The Public Accounts Committee described by Mr O'Brien as a kangaroo court and Harris as a, a, a weak minister who's obsessed with media coverage and runs scared of headlines. Yeah, like those are very, very cutting criticisms, you know, to make of of a minister. Um, I suppose the 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 situation for Tony O'Brien was when the news of the cervical check scandal broke. He appeared to have the backing of Simon Harris and the Taoiseach Leo Radker, as more women went on the radio and and told their personal stories about how they were facing a terminal illness, um, and they hadn't been properly informed by their doctors about. Uh, the, the results of their smear test, the fact that their they, their their actual original diagnosis may have been missed when the the smears are being checked uh, by a laboratory, as the the pressure mounted from that, the support for Tony O'Brien ebbed away, and and uh, he certainly blames Simon Harris for that. 
I think he's quite kind to the Taoiseach Leo Radker, but, mm-hmm. but in my view, uh, the support for him at that level had gone as well. Simon Harris was not acting on his own here. This is a, a collective government lack of, of faith in Tony O'Brien. And let's be honest, uh, you know, there, there was a, a much more of a desire to see him take the rap for it rather than ministers or the Taoiseach or anybody else. And that, that unfortunately, is a brutal reality uh, that successive director generals of the HC have found if you get in trouble you can very very quickly find yourself on your own uh, afterwards. Uh, and was that the situation with Mr O'Brien uh, was he a fall guy to quell uh, the public uh, disquiet because people were very very angry he's saying now that the report into this uh, by uh, Professor Scally is no different than what the HSE had said uh, and uh, that in essence uh, everything was done that could have been done on this side of the water at least I think I think there's a point I would make is I think you're absolutely correct to say uh, Michael that Tony O'Brien was the fall guy oftentimes when there's public anger and understandable outrage over a situation a head has to roll in this case Tony O'Brien's was the head to roll even though it just meant he was going maybe six or ten weeks earlier then he had been scheduled to go anyway. He was reaching the end of his term. So the Scally report by Dr. Gabriel Scally did find that he did nothing wrong. It wasn't that he had been told about this years ago and covered it up or, or acted inappropriately. But there, there's something I was struck to from talking to a retired uh, public servant last week on a separate matter um, about an issue. And he said, look, if you're the boss, the book stops with you. And ultimately, the HSC, Tony O'Brien, was the boss there. The HSC had made a mess of handing the cervical check scandal. The consultants it employed and paid for hadn't told the women as they should have their duty of care as doctors. Um, the people heading the programme hadn't insisted on the consultants telling the women so, you know, who who is to blame for that? It's Tony O'Brien says in his interview that the system's failure. But ultimately, you as the person in charge of that system are responsible. And, and he was unlucky and I think it was unfair that he got pushed out. But if you're in charge of the of the system, that's often what can happen. OK, a remarkable interview. And uh, at the same time, it seems though uh, as though even if he is correct, uh, there could be little sympathy for him uh, because of uh, the reaction so far. Uh, we're hearing some optimism uh, about the prospect of a Brexit deal. Is that uh, uh, unfounded optimism or uh, do you think that there's a real chance at this stage? I would like to think there's a real chance uh, purely because the consequences for, for the British government in particular are so dire and us then in second place, the, the impact of, of no deal when Britain leaves uh, the EU next March on the 29th of that month, they would be terrible. So we have to, I suppose, be optimistic mm. that a deal is in the offing. People have been saying to me uh, for quite some time now that they believe a deal will be done just because the alternative is so awful. I think what you're seeing at the moment is the the final the final sort of wrangling of how does the British Prime Minister Theresa May manage to agree a deal with the EU that her own Eurosceptic backbenchers in the Conservative Party will accept and that the DUP, uh, which is terrified of any Brexit deal, that will somehow loosen the bond between Northern Ireland and the rest of Britain, that that will will happen. Mm. So she's trying to come up with some uh, kind of compromise solution and we're hearing we're hearing talk of a, a customs union covering 
all of Northern Ireland and and the rest of Britain as one potential way out of that. And that that would last for three months, uh, but that's uh, one type of backstop uh, that wouldn't be in line what people understood to be a backstop. I think the phrase uh, that they've been using is unless and until the border issue has been solved. Uh, but if they're talking about a three-month arrangement or something along those lines, uh, well then it doesn't ensure that uh, there will be uh, the type of uh, arrangement that is believed is necessary for Northern Ireland. You're absolutely right. I think if anyone was uh, was was being uh, offered a job in the morning and uh, they were told, you know, you have the choice of a permanent uh, job for 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 uh, mm. for 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 life or a three month temporary job that could expire uh, immediately, I think you know which one someone would pick. And it's a bit like that with the backstop for Northern Ireland that guarantee that there will be no hard border, even if Britain decides in in future to do something different for its own affairs. I think there's no way the government can accept a, some kind of time-limited three-month arrangement, as as you've mentioned, and the Tarnas of Simon Coveney has already been out uh, today saying that. What I think is a, the most likely solution is a form of words where you have a, a customs arrangement for Britain to effectively stay in the EU, to leave the EU, but effectively stay in the, the customs union for the next couple of years. And the hope would be that that will continue almost and become permanent, mm. that Northern Ireland would stay in that customs union so you have no need for a border. And they'll put in some language in the agreement to say, well, we'll need to do some checks on the border, not on the border, but some there'll need to be some checks to ensure that goods aren't being smuggled from the north into the south into the EU market, and they'll try and reassure the DUP that that's just a, a minor matter. So okay. I think that's that's the potential solution. All right, Michael, I've uh, run over time, I'm afraid, but look, thank you indeed for your time and for joining us uh, this morning. Michael Brennan is uh, the political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post and brings our program to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next program at nine a.m. tomorrow morning on LMFM. Good morning, bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.